Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. 21 seconds. Um, 21 seconds. It begins like any other CNN clip of a press conference. Prime Minister Trudeau stands politely at a podium, listening intently to a question that's called out over the clicking shutters of cameras. What, asks a single journalist, does Trudeau think of the American government's response to the current unrest? And then... 21 seconds of silence. Trudeau is nearly chewing the air as he thinks in real time about his response. And it's captivating, mostly for its rarity on live television. The silence, the consideration, the elongated pause. You have to imagine that Trudeau anticipated this question, right? Before he went to the podium? That as he walked around his home, he talked about it with his team? Didn't he try out different answers? But you can see in his face, in that moment, he's searching live for the right thing to say. And this, this made headlines. Something like, politician doesn't talk. Man pauses thoughtfully before responding. It's newsworthy for more than one reason, of course. But one of those reasons is that it is so profoundly rare for someone to claim airtime, to quietly deliberate in their head before speaking. Quiet seems unattainable right now. I cannot remember a more cacophonous season in my life. The streets are trembling with earthquakes and with the thuds of footfalls and chants, and broken glass, and sirens. And in my home, if you listen closely now, (laughs) noises wash like a constant tide. There are Zoom calls, and some days Alexa is playing music, and there are FaceTime calls with the family, and here goes another curfew alert sounding on my phone. All until I crawl into bed and turn on the fan for some white noise. (laughs) Maybe because I've grown so grossly unaccustomed to the quiet. In all that noise, I am becoming more and more skilled at tuning out than tuning in. With all that noise, it's gotten hard to listen. And yet, with all that noise, it's my instinct to add to the noise, to not let the quiet be. And I'll add extemporaneously, did you notice how hard it was for me and for some of us other leaders today to just let the quiet be? It's hard. It's my instinct to add to the noise, not necessarily in the constructive way in which a large protest can let the unified shouts of thousands grow to be a powerful chorus. That can be chaotic good if social distancing is practiced. 
My impulse, though, is to add my voice to the conversation like I'm running to throw my idea on top of the pile so I can point to it without bothering to first catch up to the context. Because who could catch up anyway with the pace of the world? The extreme version of this is what my four-year-old does in her Zoom classes. Well, at least what she did until she was coached very well by her Pressman teachers on respecting the space. She would wait impatiently until it was her turn to speak, share her piece, and then immediately exit the meeting. Boop! (laughs) We had to explain to her that she was doing the thing that we all wish we could do, but can't, don't, shouldn't. There are times when the way we speak matters deeply because it seems like the air is made out of match tips ready to catch fire. Holy and aberrant spaces where we're willing to even say you can't don't, shouldn't speak this way or that. Shiva. Shiva is an example of that. This is how our rabbinic tradition frames our approach to social environments in the immediate echoing hours and days of grief. I was sitting in this very spot late last Thursday night listening to a shiur, a class, by Ariel Friedtanzer, a pastoral caregiver and end-of-life planner who was giving a Shavuot shiur in a Temple Betham Zoom room about Shiva in the era of COVID. Now, even under the best of circumstances, Shiva is a trying time and one when anyone, but especially Jews, rush to fill space with words and words and more words. The Talmud in Moed Katan Borrowing wisdom from one of many somber moments in the book of Eov, the book of Job, instructs us not to speak to a mourner until the mourner speaks to us. We, who have entered their home as a guest, have to do the attentive and aching dance of approaching, but resisting. The sidling up next to them, the hand around their back, the sitting on the bench next to, but saying nothing until they speak. Sacred silence. And how much harder is this, Ariel taught us, in the context of a Zoom shiva, when there is no differentiated space of the living room where your husband's cousins have camped out and the kitchen where you can go find your sibling and their family. There is just a digital dollhouse parked on a screen waiting for the mourner to initiate. Though the great Jewish-American legalist Reb Moshe Feinstein died in 1986, he wrote poignantly about this, believe it or not. In his Igrot Moshe, he acknowledged that in a phone call that was meant in place of an in-person shiva call, a visit to fulfill the mitzvah of Nihum Avelim comforting the mourner, one could consider the mourner having picked up the phone as they're having initiated conversation. Even Reb Moshe knew that phone silence is deadly. Zoom silence, too. 
And so it's the case with this, among so many other things, in this moment in time in history, that there is no space for space, no pause for pause, no chance to listen for the breath, no to wait for hearing what emerges from grief, no lingering in the quiet, to see what is wanted and needed of us and from us. There is a wonderful moment in this week's Parsha when Moshe shows us what this could look like done exactly right. And I'd like to share it with you. It's in the very, very last verse of the Parsha. Numbers, Bamidbar, 789. Uvevo Moshe el Ohel Moed. And in Moshe's going into the tent of meeting, Lida Berito, to speak with him, meaning to speak with God. Vaishma etako. And he would hear the voice, that is, Moshe would hear the voice, Mi daber elav, speaking with him. This phrase becomes the most important one, to my point. Me'al hakaporet, from above the lid, asher alaron ha'edu, that was on the pact of the, uh, the ark of the pact. Mi'bein shnei hakruvim, that was between the two cherubim. Vaidaber elav, and he would speak with him, to him. So Moses, Moshe, he set out to speak with God in the tent of meeting, Lidaber Ito, to speak to God. We know this is something that Moshe did. He spoke to God, with God, had a relationship with God, in which there was a take and a give. Something happens mid-verse, though. And to understand it, I want to bring in the perspective of the 11th century commentator Rashi. Vaishma et hakol. And he heard the voice, me daber elav. Now Rashi notices something about the nikud, one of the dots in this word, get ready grammar lovers. There is a dagesh, a belly button dot, so to speak, in the middle of the dalit of me daber. And Rashi points to this and says that this form of me daber, the verb we saw in infinitive form, lidaber, to speak earlier in the verse, this form right here, me daber, is a reflexive verb. The non-Rashified translation of this verse was, and he heard the voice speaking to him. But Rashi reads it, and he heard the voice speaking to itself. Or perhaps, and this is me editorializing, but he heard the voice speaking to itself. And by that I mean Moshe entered the tent of meeting intending to speak to God. But what Moshe encountered there was God speaking to God's self. And Moshe stayed. He didn't speak or call out or intervene. Moshe understood that this conversation was not meant for him. And he also understood that this conversation was meant for him. He was welcome in that tent as a beloved partner to listen, to observe, to learn, to absorb, to be present before God. Sacred eavesdropping. The idea of being welcome in the tent and asked to first quietly play the role of listener and overhearer of conversations. I think it describes so well what our friends and neighbors are asking of us in this moment of national upheaval, both people of color in our own communities and neighboring communities of color. I'm grateful that through Temple Betham, I've had the honor of connecting more deeply over the past few years with the teachings of Reverend Najuma Smith Pollard, a local pastor at Word of Encouragement Church, a poet and a community activist. I cheered her 
as she cried out this past week, we don't need more mayhem. We've been there, done that. I watched as black leaders of faith communities across Los Angeles called out for civility, diplomacy, and unity. I attended to the testimony of Davian Pilgrim, the 16-year-old whom Mayor Garcetti yielded his podium to three nights ago so that Mr. Pilgrim could share his story of being racially profiled and offer his perspective on the fears of young black men in South LA. When Mr. Pilgrim stepped forward, Mayor Garcetti said, quote, this microphone and this city are yours. And I watched as Mayor Garcetti stepped back and watched. Sacred eavesdropping. A few days ago, I wandered into a tent of meeting, a critical conversation led by Reverend Smith Pollard and co-hosted by Amanda Kairashi and Heba Farag of the USC Center for Religion and Civic Culture. What I siphon from that space will reshape some of my approach to engagement with the issues that are troubling my community, our community, and the communities I love and about which I care deeply. As Habba pointed out, there is a layer of urgency in this conversation, a different layer, one that's in addition to the actual urgency of the moment. This urgent layer is false. You, I, we need not respond just today. We don't need to decide how we feel today or have the perfect words today or have made up our mind on this issue or that today. Not because these matters of justice or budget or community organizing or more are less important than they are made out to be. They are critical. But Habba says, this is a marathon, not a sprint. These issues will still need our attention tomorrow, next month, and next year. I hear in this echoes of the grief and loneliness that lingers beyond Shiva. The mourner who is left two months after burial, just as in need of a check-in and love and support, if not more so, than they were three days after the death of their loved one. And Amanda Kairashi also underscored the importance of long-term engagement, but for a different reason, a specific one. She said, in the bottomless universe of digital conversation, it can feel impossible to sort out what is authentic and expert from what is anomalous and toxic. She spoke about reading and listening and learning the patterns of an issue so you can spot the noxious outlier those who are pushing to spoil the positive momentum. And I do return daily to a sense of gratitude for the gift, the godly gift of discernment, one that I acknowledge in the first weekday blessing of the Amidah, God as the gracious giver of Da'at, Dea, Bina, Vehaskel, discernment. This is the work of engagement that follows sacred eavesdropping, the sorting, the discernment. All three voices in the discussion spoke of a time for action. But it just so happens that the way we're left hanging here right now, this week, at the end of Parshat Naso, Moshe is going to remain in this tent for a whole additional week, hanging out there before God asks him to go and act, Daber, to speak with his brother Aaron and give further instruction. This pause feels poetic because we are indeed in the Midbar, this desert space that shares a root with a word for speech. Midbar, empty space left wide open, tempting to fill it with words, beckoning, beckoning you to come find a tent and listen 
to the conversation within. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.